It's just disappointing that this is just an extra issue the AFL and the clubs who are trying to keep the season afloat have to deal with. Imagine if somebody went out and caused a COVID outbreak in one of the hubs. Is it that tough living on a resort? I'm going to hit that trail. I'm going to wear my suburb like a cheap suit. I'm going to set myself the task of 60,000 steps a week. I really enjoy and appreciate and no longer take for granted, to be honest, the people I work with. Everything was going well until my dad died when I was 14 and I think anybody who out there who has lost a parent at an early age possibly understands this. Your whole world just comes smashing around you. So I was pretty good at um, being a teenager up until then. But I was a perfect young person. I was incredibly selfish. Never ever thought about tomorrow, only today. I reckon I was pretty good at being young. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy. Hello everybody and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 137. I'm Corrie Perkin and I'm here as I am each week with my very dear friend Caroline Wilson. Hi Caro. Hi Corrie. Nice mask you have there around your, we've had to, bodies, we've had to slip our masks down around our neck because of course we can't talk and you won't be able to hear us if we do have our mask on but well, it is interesting. On long walks, you know, when I'm walking on my own, I ring a family member, you know, in Sydney and ask them what life is like, <laughs> what normal life is like. And they don't even know I'm talking through my mask now. You, you do master the art. And we'll talk a bit more about masks on GLTs. But... I do want to talk about that. We've got lots to talk about, Caro. Lockdown update uh, and all of our thoughts on how Victorians are managing the COVID crisis. Uh, we're going to talk about our holiday dreams if we could go away, we where are. would we go? We um, you have a screen, I have a book, and I have a recipe. And you have a crush. We're going to talk about Beatrix Potter. We're going to talk about MasterChef, all sorts of things. Footy update. And a question that... Um, Wives most... and girlfriends update too. Yeah, a WAGs update. And no, question... not that. Oh, sorry, we can't call them WAGs. That's right. Partners, Corrie. Sorry, partners. sorry, partners. Um <laughs> A very interesting question was raised on another podcast during the week, which I'd like to throw to you, Caro. Do you think you were very good at being young? More on that a bit later, Potties. But first, housekeeping. Um, I would like to just um, say hello to Gab Edmonds, who sent us a message, Caro, on Facebook. And she said, I think we need a Zoom line of duty group call to debrief on season two ending. Oh, I forgot. Totally agree with you on that one, Gab. Okay, I'll start. Once I, I'll, I'll talk about my latest binge on screen. But once that's over, I will definitely move on to Line of Duty. I, I need to see do. series two. I hope you do. And we talked last week, Caro, about 20th century films which have not stood the test of time in terms of political correctness. Amanda Closey on Instagram says, Heartbreak Kid, 1993, with Claudia Carvin and Alex Dimitriadis. I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, great film. But now I think about what... What's the storyline? Well, it's a teacher-student relationship. Oh, okay. And then she adds, um, Amanda adds... Dirty dancing, inappropriate relationship between dancing teacher and high school. Oh, that yeah, <laughs> well, well, actually, that that's the teacher student. I don't reckon I can even. Rem- I just remember Heartbreak Kid being one of those refreshing Australian films that really discovered the careers of those two great great actors. 
But um, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, teach a student. You couldn't, I know. You couldn't make it in 2020. Do you think to Sue with love is a bit... Oh, no. No, She had no, a crush no. on him, but he they, did they the right had thing. A, but they all had a crush. The whole class, the boys and the girls had a yes, crush on Sydney, Sydney Poitier. Yes, and Sydney but behaved with complete dignity. Oh, of course. To Judy Geeson and Angel- Lulu and all the rest. Angelique Giannis, also on Instagram, said, Cory, 100% right about the SMH versus the age articles. Not happy at all. I tried to find an age article to send to a friend and it was under the SMH banner. Look, obviously there's a deeper issue there. And as we know, a group of aged journos actually um, wrote a letter about this um, to Sydney and it ended up in some fairly strong political decisions being made by the Channel 9, I suppose it's 9 management now, to certain people at the age. So I think there's ways of going about this and that was not the way to do it. I'll just leave it at that. But House committee members resigning. Oh, really? Oh, oh, well, I mean, obviously there was just a view that the staff had gone rogue. And I'm not sure that, you know, that was the the way to address it. The one thing I will say, and I think a lot of journos, I hope they appreciate this. I don't think, and I know there've been some savage, dreadful cuts in the media and they've gone on over many years, but I don't think one journalist was either there, there were any forced redundancies, lost their jobs, had their days cut, had their wages cut as a result of this pandemic. So, unless you're at Bow Media, yeah. Well, I'm just talking about you know the old what was once known as Fairfax, you know now Nine Media. No one's lost their jobs at the age or the Sydney Morning Herald. Well, let's hope it stays like that, Caro, because of course, as we know, the economic fallout is happening before our eyes, so it could affect our daily newspapers and their advertising revenue. Any other? Uh, oh, I tell you what, I have. I have a gift. So this box was dropped into me by a very dear listener of ours, Justin Irwin. Now, Justin uh, is, has a company called Office National and they, they provide lots of interesting office equipment and so on. Sound effects here. I'm trying to open it. And um, Justin, so Justin, I, I am now buying some equipment for the shop from Justin. Jeez, Justin. Wonderful service. <laughs> I need a safe cracker here. <laughs> Anyway, you need, you need a bit of a you need something like a pair of scissors. Anyway, here's the note, Carol. This he dropped in my uh, receipt rolls for the POS machine. Very boring, but anyway, important to me. And this box as well. And I wasn't in the shop, but here's the note. Hi, Corey. Here's just a small thank you to you, Caro, and Miss Jane for keeping me and Llewellyn. That's Mrs. Irwin, Mrs. Justin. Llewellyn, sane over the last few months. We both really look forward to each episode. And whether it's a GLT or Caro's manicured first world problems, we always end up with a smile <laughs> well, Justin, on our dial. My manicure isn't going to last much longer, and it, Thank the, you all opening so your much. present is killing, it's killing it. <laughs> Thank you. Her nails have gone. Snap, Here snap. we go. Here and we thank go. you all so much and keep well, Justin and Llewellyn Irwin. Oh, isn't that lovely? What's wow. in the box? What's in the box? Oh, it's beautiful. So the box is a big pink box with Dream Plan Do on the front. Oh, Justin, I hope there's not a planner or a journal no, in there. No, it's I'll a be beautiful. Really agitated. It's a beautiful box of office stuff and it's all in rose gold. Oh, how Look gorgeous. Look at it. Like there, for example, there's a um, stapler. There is a mini stapler. There, look at the beautiful clip, um, you know, bullnose clips, all in rose gold. Oh, Justin. Um, sta- ab- absolute fill-in staplers. Beautiful. Oh, look, at a thing to put your pens in, in glass and sort of cork and rose gold. I don't think it's real rose gold. Isn't it beautiful? Do you know who's going to really shame them here at Croc Media? That's Miss Jane when she sets up her little office Oh, look at the, from Justin there's a little out tray for my sticky notepads. It's, oh, it's beautiful, Justin. Justin. 
This leads me into my <laughs> July challenge, Corrie, because you know how we're mine is home improvements. Can we just say thank you, Justin? Thank you, Justin. And Mrs. Justin. Thanks, Justin. I was about to thank Justin. Thanks, Jane. But my July challenge was home improvements. Sunday, it was the study. I oh, my study is a picture. I threw out so much crappy paperwork. I made very harsh decisions on old footy records. I kept 2017, just couldn't help myself. Um, threw out tickets to things, found two gold-class cinema tickets that don't expire till 2022, found Anna from the Op Shops, Marameco Umbrella, found Clementine's missing beautiful veggie prints she wanted to get framed for Did a new Did you find kitchen. all my receipts so you can do my taxation for me for an- Didn't find, found a few things that went, not much went in the too hard basket, found out I'm meant to be having a mammogram six months ago. That was a bit of a worry, but anyway, I'll I'll make an appointment for that. But my, I threw out so much stuff and now I have this beautiful clean desk with an empty basket and in tray. And guess what? Justin, (laughs) your dream plan do rose gold desk set is going to take pride of place. There we go. I love it. So that's your July challenge. So you've been busy with yours. I have. I finished my wonderful book, um, Amateurs in Eden, or what, what was it called again? Is that what it was called? Yeah. The story of Lawrence Darrell and his uh, exotic, wonderful wife. That was one from the pile, Corrie. <laughs> one from the pile. And well, I, two, because you did another one, didn't and you? I, and I've almost, no, yes, I've done, I, I did a novel. I did Kate Grenville as well. And yes. this one I'm halfway through, Caro, written by the book. Now, I bought this in 2017 knowing that we were going for a walk in England at some point in the years that followed after that. Did I read this before we went to Cornwall last year? No, of course not. I could have been the perfect tour guide. I know that you, you loved You were pretty the, perfect. You know, you loved my navigation and you couple loved of, my couple videos. Couple of missteps. <laughs> but this is so interesting, a curious tour of our literary landscape and what Oliver Teal, the author, has done. I, I, I can't believe I didn't read this book before I went. Is He creates all of these interesting links and segues between he starts uh, he starts up the northernmost point of Scotland and he works his way down to the southernmost tip of Cornwall with London in between and all of the literary writers and poets who we've known for centuries who have created the English canon of fine plays and novels and so on, um, where they grew up, where they met one another, the streets they've lived in. Walpole Street in London has something like... 15 famous authors over yes, a century. Wimpole, sorry, Wimpole Street. Wimpole Street. And there were little platelets in front of a lot of the houses too. Robert Browning was there with Elizabeth Barrett. Sir Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle was there. Wilkie Collins was there. Honestly, this book is a gem. So if anybody is going to London in the next century... <laughs> I mean, it, not not next. I'm thrilled, not, I'm thrilled not, you're plugging a book, Corey, but it's not exactly the right time. But but, still. This, is, but this is off my pile, so it's a really good book. It's called Britain by the Book, and uh, I have. Uh, oh, I suppose it's the end of my challenge, isn't it? I'm going to tack- keep tackling that pile. I'm really, really loving it. Well, I'm at the end of my secret challenge, which I didn't want to talk about in case I broke it. But I have now completed my last weekend of Dry July. And I've got a couple of days to go and I'm, I'm on the home stretch now. You did drop it last week. Did you notice I didn't um, mention it? Yes, but... I ignored it. I, I didn't sort of say that... Because I thought big, if we talked about it... it didn't it make might, a big deal yeah, about it. you might have gone and had a drink or well, something. Well, perfectly. My son's birthday is August 1, so I can have a drink on his birthday. But, that yeah, no, no, I reckon I, after that I'll go back to it So what's till your, the what, end of what's lockdown. Your, what's your August challenge? Oh, I mean... I don't, <laughs> I'll tell you what mine is while you have a think. (laughs) So I have been totally uh, inspired by Karen of Brighton. Karen, I'm joining you on the walking trail and I'm not going to grumble about 
the repeti- repetitivity, rep- rep- repetition. Oh, okay, that'll do. Of of my suburb suburban walking, I'm going to hit that trail. Um, I'm going to wear my suburb like a cheap suit. And Caro, this is my goal. If uh, you and I, when we do 10,000 steps, it's roughly seven kilometres, right? I'm going to set myself the task of 60,000 steps a week in August. That's Why about, not go that's for about 70? 40, that's about 42 kilometres a week. No, that's pretty good. Because I don't think I could, I don't honestly think that I could do 10,000 steps a day because some days I'm stuck in the shop. It's a little bit difficult. But 60,000 a week, I think, is walking, not just, you know, moving around the house, walking. Actually going out on it. Actually going out. Yes. I mean, if I only get to 8,000 and I've got a bit of gardening or housework to do, I just put my phone in my pocket and I I crack the ton every day. (laughs) It's a good way of doing it. It's so ridiculous. Who are you proving? Well, I like to lie in bed at night and say, how many steps have I done today? I'm actually, my weekly average this week is pretty good, actually, Corrie, but I'm not going to go on. All right. Well, so you don't, you haven't thought about it, um, you haven't thought about a, a challenge? Oh, Corrie, I, you know, I am going to, no, I have, I'll, I'll think of it next week. I'm okay. sorry. I mean, you know, dry July and the home improvements, which are continuing, by the way, into August. But yes, I will. It'll probably be spring related and I'll think of it next week. I apologise. Okay, Caro, on to more serious matters. Victoria's battle of the pandemic continues. Uh, Premier Daniel Andrews and Chief Health Officer Professor Brett Sutton are leading the charge. Makes me wonder, do these men ever have a day off? But it is hugely comforting to see Daniel Andrews every day around 11am at that media conference telling us what we can and can't do. Earlier this week, the Premier revealed more than 400 healthcare workers had tested positive to COVID-19. There's been a leap in the numbers of cases in aged care facilities. And on Monday, it was also revealed that a baby in the neonatal ward of the Royal Children's Hospital had tested positive, which just must be causing such anxiety to the staff and parents who are connected with that ward. Meanwhile, further cases are appearing in Sydney or around New South Wales. So, Carol, we haven't had what uh, Dr Norman Swan would call an exponential growth Um no, but gee, they seemed pretty flat this week in Victoria, didn't they? It's they a really, slow growth. and Early in the week, certainly. Oh, and health experts are absolutely terrified that we're going to leap. So uh, the big news, of course, is that masks are now mandatory. So we are all wearing our masks, except for the lady who's now been called Bunnings Karen. Yeah, Karen of um, Bunnings is Trump, Karen of Brighton. Beg your pardon? Sorry, I'm just asking if you've got a mask. Well, it's clear I don't. And you are not authorised to ask me or question me about it. If you guys aren't wearing a mask. I actually don't need a medical certificate if you refer to the DH. No, I'm allowed to do this. And you're discriminating against me. We're all just trying to all be in this together. We're all in what together? I actually don't. And you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me about it. It's a condition of entry of our forest. Then that's discrimination. It was appalling. No, she she was bullying the staff. And and that right that right, absolute bullish is so stupid. It, of course, it's not a human right to, to to insist you won't wear a mask. I mean, if you're an asthmatic or if you have real issues with masks, if you're claustrophobic, don't go to Bunnings. Sorry, send someone else. If you live alone, send a friend. Maybe you don't have any friends because you're such a nasty bully. But seriously, that woman's behaviour, that really made me angry. I thought that was just horrible to see. What must it be like working in those big department store-style, hardware store-style places 
when you, you you're obviously scared of getting sick and you're scared of missing work yourself and scared for your family who you're going home to every day and someone comes in and you know threatens to infect you like that I just think it's horrible uh, under the pretense that uh, that you're restricting their freedom as an individual which is just absolute nuts I or that know. the government is being heavy-handed. Well, you and I walking, it was quite funny the other day. There was a bit of panting going on there when we go up the hills. You can't take those big, deep breaths. So you just have to it's adjust. terrible. You have to adjust and take little breaths. The other thing that I'm finding slightly annoying, <laughs> first world problem, my iPhone face recognition doesn't work when my mask is on. Oh, no, well, that's, yeah. That's so then I've got... <laughs> that, that is the definition Jane, of first laugh. world it's problem. It's really serious, you know. No, I know. Every You go, why isn't it working? Then you go, oh, that's right. And the other thing I just want to say is to all the people who uh, who are still posting photographs of themselves in their masks with poodles on their masks or checks or Prince of Charles checks or flowers or whatever it is, you know, thanks everyone. It got to about the 173rd photograph of somebody in a mask and I thought enough now, Instagram, like it's, it's, we're all wearing masks. We've got the gist. We've got the joke. Thanks everyone. Oh no, Stop I don't posting. mind that. I don't mind that. Did you see the, um, my friend? Fred Mary sent one out in our bridge WhatsApp group the other day, the male member, which is um, ejecting hand sanitizer in a show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even know whether I should comment. You should see it. People are going up and sort of rubbing it and hand sanitizer comes out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, there, it has been the sort of year of the video, hasn't it? There have been a few good gags. Sorry, I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Cor- very sick girl. Corrie's speechless. Well, it wasn't me; it was Mary. But anyway, I thought. I tell you funny. what: if our if our next box of goodies happens to be from Sex World or Kinky Land, <laughs> I'll know what's triggered that. Look, off. The message is correct, Corrie. You, so, actually- Cara, there's some, in all seriousness, apart from that, I want to ask you about something. Boris Johnson said recently that um, the public might forgive ministers and politicians for making mistakes when the pandemic started, although I don't know whether that's going to happen to Daniel Andrews over the quarantine issue. Like Boris but, going and shaking all those hands. Yeah, well, that's right. And he said that the public may forgive, but the public will not forgive the mistakes the leaders make on the way out of the health crisis. And I thought that was probably one of the most pertinent, important points that Boris has made in the last couple of years. I agree with him, actually. I think how we get out of this is going to be just as important. Your well, thoughts? Yeah, well, I'm more interested in when we get out of it, and I can't see that happening anytime soon. Um, you threw up the um, the British psychologist, um, Helen Rodwell, who said that, you know, we should never return to the old life. So what habits would you like to continue? Well, it's interesting. Habits, yeah, it's I mean. really interesting. The unhealthy habits that I think I have changed and I'll continue, for example, often I, I would come home, this is normal life, often I would come home from work and I would sit on the sofa and have a cup of tea or something before going out to a movie or going to dinner or doing the next thing. Well, now there is no thing. So I come home and I get into my track gear and I go for a walk. So I think I should continue that. I think that's really good. It also keeps you away from the fridge and the pantry, and it keeps you away from the wine as well. Um, there, ha- there is often when you're a working family, there is a bit of buying takeaway or pre-cooked meals. Of course, we've all been hunting and gathering and spending a lot of time on our food, so I think that will continue. Um, going to the grog shop and just buying anything that's on special, well, in this time of lockdown with few pleasures, we've actually been doing a little bit of wine tasting in all seriousness, you know, not grogging on, but buying a couple of really lovely bottles and over a period of two or three days, you know, just trying them and, and what do we think and there's been a bit more discussion. So that's been quite fun. Um, always too busy to ring friends in my old life. 
Not anymore. Yep. No, that's a good one. Going to and, and that. proper conversations. Proper conversations. And also with my kids, instead of the quick three-minute touch base at the start of the day, we're having long, longer, more meaningful conversations, and I'm loving that. And um, instead of bunkering down on a winter's night, which is so easy when you've had a big day at work and it's freezing, and that foul wind is coming off Bass Strait, Carol, I've actually been rugging up and going outside with my cup of tea or cup of soup I did the other night and just sit on the balcony and watch the sunset. As Anna from the op shop said a couple of weeks ago, it's, you know, the, the, the simple pleasures of Mother Nature. Oh. So. Corey, that's very no. I, I, I felt I had to raise the standard after your ejaculating hand sanitizer. What about you? Um, no, well, certainly um, I'm enjoying the conversations on the telephone, and and obviously that's been forced to, by the fact that you can't go and meet people for coffee at the moment. I mean, you might go for a walk with a girlfriend or your partner and buy a takeaway coffee, but. I'm loving the longer phone conversations. You know, the telephone has gone back to being what it was sort of, you know, it, it was invented as communication, then it became a long conversational tool and then it became a text message machine. Well, I'm enjoying the conversations again. I'm oh, just appreciating, you know, the simple, simple things in life, which I think is what you're saying. I mean, obviously we're all a bit obsessed by the weather and what an unbelievable, mild, beautiful winter we're having. It's just so ironic as a football reporter watching football played in storms in Perth New South Wales, in Sydney and southern Queensland. And in Melbourne, there's been, you say, a blustery night. Well, there's been virtually no wind. There's been this beautiful mild weather. And wouldn't the MCG have been absolutely perfect? No wind, as your husband Brendan and I observed around about the same time last week. No wind in winter. Just beautiful. Um, Appreciating my work colleagues, I think probably because they're the only people I see. But I mean, I don't know. We just sort of you seem feel appreciated, to be... Jane. I'm not sure. Absolutely. I've always appreciated Jane. <laughs> Jane's sort of more than just a work colleague, Corey. But you know, the guys I work with on Classified and the producers. It's funny. Um, at the end of most conversations now, they say, "So how are you going?" And I go, "Well, fine. What's wrong?" You know, like, "Why are you asking?" Now, I, they, they're saying, "No, no. Just everyone needs to be checked in on now every week." And I think I'm really noticing we're all being a lot nicer to each other. I'm not that we weren't nice Support, to each supportive, other. Supportive, I think, is a good word. Yeah, and I, I really enjoy and appreciate and no longer take for granted, to be honest, the people I work with. Yeah, so I hope good. that continues. That's good. Caro, uh, just on to the complete trivial and uh, unattainable. On the weekend, I thought enough of this. I, I have cancelled a couple of mini breaks in rural Victoria with my daughters. I have a, I have a tentative booking in September for a place in Port Ferry for four nights Goodness knows whether I'll get there. Good luck. But I just thought I have to plan something. I'm going to look at 2021. Will we be travelling anywhere? And if I could, where would I go? And I wondered what you were thinking in that regard. Are you thinking in that regard? Well, you know, as you know, I sort of downsized from Ithaca to Port Douglas to Yamba. Um, now I'd be happy to get to Port Ferry and I don't think I'll, I'll get there either. But um, I've been vicariously travelling through that wonderful Monty Don and his gardening program, which is on the ABC. I watched the repeat one. Mum rang me on Sunday and said, watch Monty Don, he's in, he's in France. Yes, he's doing a French one. Oh, the kitchen, I wish he'd cut his locks though. The veggie gardens and, oh, Miss Jane, those veggie gardens and the kitchen gardens of France. And he went to the Luberon, which is where a few years ago um, we rented a house with um, a rather large family group, which is just the most beautiful area. near. We stayed near the village of Cucuron, which has a massive 
well, sort of like a giant pond in the middle of it instead of a city square, a village square. And um, the gardens of the Luberon and the lavender and the cherries, and the, which is like the place we stayed on. So I'm travelling through the old Monty at the moment. And all his all the places he's going to, but I am I am also reading um, a wonder I'm reading a wonderful home book by Kath Kitson, and um, there's a lot of Cotswolds and you know Northumberland, a lot of lot of places like that I'm dreaming of as well. Yeah, it's a bit I know sad. dreaming. Anyway, on we go. So uh, we're going to call this Throwback Tuesday today. Do you ever feel you were not very good at being young, Caro? And I was thinking about this because I was listening to the Fortunately podcast and this issue came up and they had uh, a letter from a listener of theirs, Jane and Fee, and they read out this this girl's story. I think she's now in her 20s. But she said, is there something wrong with me? Because I've only ever really enjoyed going to bed with a cup of tea and a good book when all my friends went out to the pub what is it about me that I love a, an English murder mystery like Midsummer Murders rather than going out with friends to a nightclub? And I thought, mm, I can relate to that one. Look, I, yeah, I, I loved all of those things when I was young, but I was a perfect young person. I was incredibly selfish, um, never, ever thought about tomorrow, only today. Um, I, I reckon I was I was pretty good at being young. And it's funny, it reminded me of that brilliant book, but when you brought up this topic with me the other day, that brilliant my little novel by Ian McEwan on Chesil Beach, and he describes the characters who were entering into a disastrous short-lived marriage, um, saying they were young at a time when it was not fashionable to be young. This is the early 60s, and it was so true. You know, being between the age of 18 and 25 was actually not fashionable at all now. Now the youth have all the power and um, kids have power over their parents. It, it's remarkable how the tides have turned. But also what I notice about young people today, not like certainly not me and probably not you either, is that young people today are so much more calculated and they plan for the future and they think about the next few weeks, they think about the next few years and they have long-term life plans. I mean, we never thought about that sort of stuff, do you think? I, well, I wonder whether that has something to do with education too because there is now so much focus from about the year year eight or nine to start thinking about the subjects you're going to take and where will you go and planning your future. Although we had a bit of that as well. I can remember when I wanted to drop maths in after fourth form or year 10, I was told I'd never get into Melbourne University. <laughs> but look... I wanted to drop chemistry halfway through year 11 and that was when I said to my parents, for some reason Dad took a real stand against it. I don't know why. I said, but I, I want to be a journalist. That's all I've ever wanted to be. So let me drop chemistry. And after that, I said I had to be a journalist to justify the dropping of chemistry. Lucky I got a job. No, I, I think it has changed and I think... Um, I reckon you would have been good at being young, Corrie. I only oh, met no. you when you were 18. Oh, but... no, I, I don't. Well, I was, well, look, everything was going well. Everything was going well until my dad died when I was 14. And I think anybody who out there who has lost a parent at an early age possibly understands this. Your whole world just comes smashing around you. So I was pretty good at um, being a teenager up until then. Um, you know, there was a lot of kissing and heavy petting and being caught by parents of friends and, you know, I remember my mother saying, you will not buy a Miller shirt with your pocket money, you'll look like a tart and of course I did. And, you know, smoking cigarettes outside the Bowie Community Centre and somebody's parents drove by and dobbed us all in and, you know, there was a lot of that. But come 
after the grieving process, which interestingly affected me in a peculiar way because I seemed to sleep. I was exhausted for about six months. I just slept, slept, slept. When I came out of that comatose state, I just thought, oh, well, you know, that's it really. I didn't know how to be naughty. I had to be good. So I sort of, I really feel like I lost about five years. I know this is rather sad, isn't it? But I do, I feel like I lost that 16, 17. And then, Carol, you and I are working in a newspaper office, me at the age of 17, you at 18. And yeah, well, I, was seven, I, re- I was 17. I in fact, I, I was only just 17 when oh, I started. Oh, yeah, uh, you were too. And I, I remember um, I remember Neil Mitchell, who was then the chief of staff. I must have been at the age for about a week or two, and he said, look, there's this picture story we want you to do. It's only an extended caption or something, but the photographer's coming from another job. He'll meet you. It's in queue. Here's the address. Off you go. And I stood in front of Neil's desk and said, where's Q? <laughs> Well, I was a Bayside suburbs girl and he looked at me. I can't remember his reaction. I think he exploded with laughter or maybe exploded with rage. I do remember he just said, get yourself into a tram and get there now. And I had to look up the Melways. I had no idea and I thought, it's time to grow up. Yeah, well, that I mean, I don't know what that says about. I don't think that's a young thing. I just think that's it's a dumb sure. thing. Well, I mean, you know, you would even if you didn't know where Q was, I would, you never would have admitted it to your chief of staff, but you did. So. I, well, I did because I was a child. I thought that's what chief of staffs were for. I thought they were there to nurture young cadets. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, that, no, look, I would to get the job done. It's a fascinating subject. And I suppose when I met you, you were a bit of an old soul. That was probably one of the reasons I liked you. You know, it was, you know, no, no. <laughs> you but, reminded me of your mother. No, no, not not like that. You know what I mean. You know um, what I mean. No, I just, um, I, I do. And I think also, Caro, uh, part of that too was, uh, as you were talking about the, on Chesil Beach, I remember that desire when I was about 19 or 20. All I wanted to do was to have a new family because I'd lost my old family. So all I wanted to do was get married and have children because I thought that's what would, you know, be a good thing, hence getting married at 22. So isn't that – it's so interesting. I sort of lost those years. We would love to hear from you, Potties, if you'd like to respond to any of that. Um, now, Caro, what are we on to now? Um, AFL update. I wanted to ask you about your Caro's Arrow on Channel 9 about uh, the partners and families. I gather there are about 400 of them flying up to join their – Football mates, in yes. Well, other, well, in other climbs. The, the second the second wave is arriving, and it's not a um, coronavirus wave. It's just a wave of families, partners, and some players. Happily for the Tigers, Basher Hall is flying in for two weeks of quarantine before he plays. His mum is getting better, and his little baby is now more than a month old. Oh, great to hear. His so um, I'm not sure if he's bringing his family or not, but. Look, what's happening, what has happened is um, the families are going up there largely at the AFL's expense. Every club is allowed 100 people paid for by the AFL. If you have over 100, the AFL meets 50% of the costs. So a lot of players are flying up their wives and families. And and a lot of clubs like over in um, Perth, you know, you've had Collingwood and Geelong there in quarantine playing games. Their families have gone to Queensland where they've been quarantining, waiting to meet them. The fam- the partners, and not just of players, but also assistant coaches, coaches, whatever, are coming out of quarantine and wanting to meet their girlfriends for a coffee on Broad Beach. There, is, there was one rumour that um, an assistant coach's family went to um, SeaWorld 
last Friday night. They're wanting to go to Wet n Wild. I'm told someone even wanted to get, was across when she couldn't get a manicure, uh, uh, facial. Now, and I know I've bemoaned that, but I'm not in a Queensland hub. If, this you, is, were, if you were Gladys Berejiklian, you would be having a cardiac arrest of Well, in fact, Anastasia, Anastasia Palaszczuk, who's oh, a sorry. Premier of Queensland. Sorry, who did I Get say? your women Premiers oh, right. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry about no, that, No, no, no. That's all right. That's all right. An apology for next week. But exactly, Corrie, she has... Giving granted these exempt, extraordinary exemptions to keep the AFL season afloat. On Monday, I'm told Gillan McLaughlin had to organise a phone hookup of all the club CEOs. Now, every club has a compliance officer, a COVID compliance officer, but it's as if they don't have enough to do without having to deal with these ridiculous questions. People saying, can I do this? Why can't I do that? They were told last week, you can't go to the footy because it's just logistically impossible to police or very difficult to police these people going out into public. You're actually not allowed. You're under similar restrictions to Victorians and that's why you're there. But you are living on a resort that is being paid for by someone else. All your meals are being provided. You know, all your meals are being provided. Can I go? I know. I mean, look at the Saints at the RACV Resort in Noosa. No wonder they're going over to Adelaide and winning every five days for heaven's sake. They're having such a nice time. They're all so happy. But it's just disappointing that this is just an extra issue the AFL and the clubs who are trying to keep the season afloat have to deal with. If you're a partner, you know, you're there because you want to be with your partner to support him. Maybe you've had to leave a job. Yes, it's tough. Maybe you've left your, you've obviously left your home in Melbourne, but you're there for a reason. Don't make life more difficult and complicated. And don't imagine if somebody went out and caused a COVID outbreak in one of the hubs, in one of the resorts. Is it that tough living on a resort for the next few weeks? You can still go to the beach and have a swim, but you can't sit on the beach. You can and, sit and no by the pool all day. And no going off to Chantal's beauty parlour to have a facial. The, all these places have probably got spas within their um, with, within their um, resorts. There's you know there's they've all got amazing playgrounds with jumping castles, and so there's heaps for the kids to do. Like there is plenty to do. Yes, it's not normal life, but there's a lot more to do there than there is in Victoria right now. So really disappointing. Well, I'm glad we talked about that and not your uh, most excellent column in The Age on the weekend where you uh, shone the light on the relationship between Jeff Kennett and and um, Alistair Clarkson. We'll just move on from there. Oh yeah, didn't he? <laughs> didn't he crack the sands after um, losing again? And then he was stop. petulant to boot. No, stop. Uh, we're focusing on 2021 in Hawkland, Caro. That's the focus. Mm. Now, you have a crush. I do. And I've got a crush on a TV personality who, to be honest, I've never been mad on and I've totally, totally fallen for him. After watching, and it's not just because of Dry July, the new Sean Mickleoff series on The Source, it is fantastic. It is so... What are you looking like that for? You don't have to say that. <laughs> that was just private <laughs> for potties to know. He came, Corey, he came to the shop once. I, I'm not... I'll just leave it at that. Oh, okay. All right. Well... I, I never found him all that funny. This is a brilliant documentary about Australians and their relationship with alcohol. It's got a lot of personal touches, quite moving, quite touching about his and own. He doesn't drink, does he? No, but he goes back. He, he drops off the wagon in episode two, um, and he explains why he doesn't drink and about what happened to him as a as a young man and his relationship with alcohol, which wasn't good. He didn't understand alcohol except for just getting roaringly drunk. He also has a family member. He's had a bereavement in his family quite recently, which he almost breaks down about. He has to refilm the whole segment talking about what she went through and um, he's no longer with it. So 
It is a brilliant series and it has made me completely fall in love with Sean Mickaliff. Not in any other way that I just so admire what he's done and it's a great show. So that's my crush of the week. I always preferred Diver Dan. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, yes, that's a separate issue, but it's a very good show. I would recommend Off the Source, On the Source. Now, Corrie, book, screen and food, you have a book. I do, Carol. It's called A Burning by a young, I'm holding it up to the camera, of course no one can see it, by Mega Majumdar. I hope I have pronounced that correctly. She's a young uh, Indian writer who now lives in New York. And this is a short book, but it has, and it has short explosive chapters, but each one moves you toward a thrilling conclusion. What happens, Caro, is that there is the book opens with a terrorist attack on a train in Calcutta, or Kolkata as it's now called, and it's a firebombing which incinerates 100 people inside. Facebook takes off with news updates and, of course, public grieving, calls for donations and so on. And Jivan, who is a young girl from a lower caste family but is actually quite smart, got a scholarship to a local school and is now working in retail, she posts her own outrage comments which inappropriately and unfortunately have a, have a crack at the government and she's picked up by officials as being an anti-government person and she's arrested as being involved in this thing. The second character is Lovely. Lovely is a hijra, you know, one of the men who dress up as a girl, non-sex, sort of inter, intersex community of South Asia and um, rather lovely character who, who knows Jivan could actually come forward and say that she was not there on the day of the terrorist attack, that she wasn't involved, but we wonder whether Lovely, as she's called, is going to step forward to help Jivan. And then there's a third character who's an old physical education teacher of Jivan's who could come forward and vouch for her character, but for a whole lot of reasons, and him being opportunistic, he does not. This book has contemporary themes, and it's a surefire candidate for book clubs. I really love her writing. Um, she reminds me a bit of Jampa Lahiri, the, uh, another um, contemporary Indian writer. Um, the author assumes these three different characters, they're different voices in ways that are clear um, and they vibrate. They absolutely vibrate with that whole cut and thrust of Indian, modern Indian life. And even though this is a sad story in many ways, Carol, you'd love it because you love India. She just captures that colour, busyness, the smells, the sounds. It's a really, really terrific book. It's called A Burning by Mega Mujamdar. Now, you have a screen. I do. I've become hooked on Yellowstone. I avoided it and Kevin avoided Kastner. it and avoided it. And, um, you know, we've had mixed feelings about Kevin Kevin over the years, but this is a brilliant show. It is sweeping. That the, Dancing with Wolves just made me want to set my hair on fire. I know, but he's also been in some absolutely brilliant films. That um, wonderful... Field of Dreams. No. My brother's he, favourite film. Was he in Field of Dreams? He was yeah. too. And he was in that other brilliant baseball film too with Susan Sarandon that is one of my favourite films. I'll remember the title in a minute and Tim Robbins. But um, this is set in Montana and what an amazing state. What an amazing state of America that is. It's sort of a Dallas for our times. Kevan is um, the John Dutton, head of the Dutton clan that runs the Dutton ranch, um, ranch yellow, and in, it's called Yellowstone. 
The family is unbelievable. The acting is incredible. Kelly Riley, who in in fact, I reckon she might have been on a few episodes of Line of Duty or one of those British cop shows, plays the daughter, the very, very troubled daughter. The mother's dead. You find out during series one what happened there. Pretty tragic. There are three brothers to start with. I'll leave it with that. It's got big business. One of them doesn't want to be in the business, does he? Oh, he lives on a, on a rival Indian Reserve? Indian Reservation, yeah. yeah well, um, um, First Native Americans. Native American. There's a huge Native American theme. There's a big business theme. There's a family theme. It's, it's sort of the upstairs, downstairs. There's the cowboys who work at the ranch and what happens with them. Whoa, 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 is all I can say. Yellowstone, and the movie is Bill, Bull Durham, by the way, with Kevin. God, I love that film. Anyway, but... It, this is so addictive. I'm midway through series two. I watched two episodes and we were a bit bored. Should I yeah. continue? The first episode is a movie length, about an hour and a half, and it takes you a while to kick in, but don't worry. It's just and Keep going. It gets better and better. So Yellowstone on Stan, strongly recommend. Um, great cast. I mean, some of the characters, there's a lot of famous people in it. Um, Luke Grimes plays, plays one of the sons, but Cole Halzer, who plays Rip, the long-standing Desperately loyal assistant to Kevin Costner. He's he's from the as Warner- in Rip Torn. <laughs> Remember that actor? Yeah, exactly. Well, this guy's name. He was is rather Rip- handy on the eye. The old Rip Torn. Well, he, this guy's a brilliant actor, but he is uh, um, he's from the Warner family. There's a lot of, according to Anna from the Op Shop's husband, a lot of Hollywood royalty in this. Um, the rival businessman Danny Houston. Anyway, absolutely great. Watch it. Watch it. Cory, you have a recipe. I do. This one came about, Caro, when I was delivering books on the weekend and I visited a friend's farm. In fact, she's been on the podcast before, our friend Anita. And she had picked some lemons and she had made the most beautiful lemon curd and we sat out in the sun socially isolating with our masks on, although not when we were eating the scones that she'd made, with the lemon curd on top. And she she gave me a little jar just a spoonful in your yogurt, Caro. Wow. Anyway, this is the recipe. I asked her for it and she said um, a nod to Stephanie Alexander with this one and she did add a bit of lime juice as well and a bit of lime rind and I think that's probably what gave it an extra zap. So she says, beat together eight egg yolks, one plus one-third caster sugar. I guess that means a cup. Probably. I don't one know. and a third cups, yes. Let me just double check that it is a cup, but I'm sure it is. Pop the mix into a solid saucepan, add 120 grams of butter, 200 millimetres of lemon juice and a little bit of lemon uh, lime juice as well, two big teaspoon rinds of lemons and limes. That's, so that's two big teaspoons. Use, of lemon and lime rind. Yeah, and use loads of lemons and, and eggs. Lemon trees are laden at the moment and the chooks are busy, so it was perfect. And, in fact, she has chooks and those eggs were absolutely fresh. Stand the pot on the stove over a medium heat and stir slowly and constantly until bubbles appear and then take it off the heat and allow it to cool. It was the most beautiful yellow colour. I should have actually brought you some in, but I think we've eaten almost the whole jar. Joe, so, um, jo, uh, jo, our friend, our friend, our, for, slave. our former slave, <laughs> makes a great lemon curd. So does Anna from the op shop, Sister Julie. It's great in the middle of cakes. Oh, too. anywhere. Well, you know how I made a batch of shortbreads on the weekend. Oh, weren't they? They were delicious. <laughs> well, actually, that We're was... still going through them. That, I reckon that's your best ever. That, that was Sunday night's... Pudding, actually, with a bit of lemon curd and, a, and one shortbread each, which then became two. But look, Caro, that's book screen food for this week. It will all be in our show notes, particularly the recipe. And we would like to thank Red Energy 
Powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, just call 131806 for real Aussie energy. They're a Melbourne-based team, which we love, and they'll help you out. And just tell them Caro and Corey sent you. And thank you, Red Energy, once again for your ongoing support of our little podcast. Caro, what are you grumpy about? Well, very simple, and it's an adjunct to my comment about um, the partners of footballers and coaches, etc., in hubs behaving badly. One of the issues is they keep asking questions. Can I do this? Can I do that? I am so sick of people ringing radio stations and complaining about this is chaotic. Nobody knows what to do. The DHHS is failing us. The government isn't telling us what to do. I listened to a caller to Neil Mitchell on Tuesday morning, and Neil was demonstrating this as to how the medical and health services aren't failing us during the COVID pandemic. This woman rang in. She'd had a, a person who'd been in contact with a positive test. I rang the DHHS and they said to me, well, don't come back to us until they've tested positive. And they didn't even ask me for the name and address. What was I meant to do? I mean, are people completely stupid? If you have come in contact with someone who has had COVID or thinks they might have had COVID, don't go to work. Isolate them. Tell them to leave work. Anyone who they've been with, tell them to leave work. Stop clogging up the phone lines and complaining that no one's helping you. If we all take responsibility for this pandemic, then it will surely get better and people will stop getting sick and the spread will gradually start to stop. I'm really sick of people relying on someone else to tell them what to do. And then they complain about being told what to do. Oh, and they wouldn't know, and they they didn't know this and they didn't take my number and they didn't tell us we had to send this person home. You don't need someone to tell you that. Can I also say... Everyone's working overtime here. Can I also say as a retailer, could everybody just take a big deep breath? We are really lucky that our shops are still open. We are really lucky that small businesses like mine are being able to not only provide some comfort and much-needed goods to the community, but also, dare I say, keep a few people in work. And people come into the shop and they are, most people are fabulous, I have to say. Most people are wonderful, but there's always that 1% each day that really tips you over the edge. They're angry that they have to use the hand sanitizer. They get cross because, I'm terribly sorry, we have five people in the shop. Could you just wait a moment? Well, it's a big shop, said a man the other day. I felt like saying, this is my shop, these are my rules. Like, could you just all be kind to retailers, please? It's a really tough time. I think Corrie should have been grumpy this week. <laughs> I've hijacked it. Caro, six quick questions now. This weekend just passed, oh, this is so sad, should have been the opening of the 2020 Olympics. How did you feel about no Olympics this year? Absolutely the least of my worries when there's so much else going on. I mean, I can, you know, at least I can watch the footy. We're sitting here on the first, the only footy-free day for the next 21 days. There's plenty of sport to watch on TV thanks to the, all the all the footy codes getting their seasons up and running. And I'm enjoying the Sydney nostalgia because I did really enjoy, although I worked very hard, the Sydney Olympics. Corrie, Betrix Potter's birthday on July 28. Were you a Betrix fan? No, I didn't read her as a young person, Caro. I wasn't much into the Peter Rabbit thing. More an AA Milne girl, to be honest. But now that I have a bookshop and I've read a couple of biographies on Beatrice and Beatrix, and there was that wonderful film with Renee Zellweger a few years ago. It was great, ago. wasn't I it? I loved that film so much. I can't remember what it was called. Miss Potter's something or other? Yes. Can't remember. Anyway, Beatrix, the reason I'm, I love her now, I'm such an admirer, is because she was such a conservationist. So she was born in 1866, died in 1943, and she left all of her property to the National Trust, which of course is now part of the Lake District National Park. So we love her. Caro, should Jeremy I... Jeremy Fisher, just giving a plug, my absolute favourite as a child. 
Should AFL players' wages be made public? Look, I don't think so, Corrie. I mean, it's good to speculate as a journal when a player's signed a new contract and it's controversial and there might be a salary cap implication or, you know, they might have stayed at their club and not gone to another club a la Dustin Martin. But I thought that series in the Herald Sun over the weekend, it just didn't really interest me. I mean, I might have looked at who was number one and it's how many big, Richmond players issue, were in the, the bottom 50. And I just think I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. And I think the Players Association certainly feel uncomfortable about it. I don't think that is a path we need to go down. Corrie, what was the first thing you did on day one of compulsory mask wearing? It was actually the day before when I started wearing my mask, I went and bought a lipstick. <laughs> that was pretty stupid. What an idiot. <laughs> No I hope, no I hope it was a stay-on. I no hope one, it was a poppy. Well, you remember no, the no, poppy ones yeah, that never moved? Yeah, I know. Moved? I know. Well, I, well, one I've used, oh, it's not on this mask I have here. It's on the mask in the car. It's completely stained with red. my new red lipstick. Yeah, you've got well, to soak them for days look, to get Look, there's a thing off. about lipstick. It does make you feel good. You go and buy one. It's not terribly expensive. It's a girl treat. We all know. Like all the women out there listening to this podcast going, yeah, 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 we agree, lipsticks. But why would you do it on the day before you're supposed to be compulsory mask wearing? Probably probably right. What difference did you notice about the new series of MasterChef, Caro? Well, apart from the new cast, who I thought worked really well, I'm seeing a... You mean the cast or the the judges? The judges, yeah, the main guys. I'm noticing a kinder, gentler MasterChef. And my friend Katie pointed this out to me, so I had a look, because I hated the way they all started yelling as the series went, the years went on. Too many tears. Gary and Matt and co, even though they all did a brilliant job. Now, too, too many crybabies. Every, everybody's many nicer to each other and they help each other and the judges are nicer and maybe we're seeing a new, maybe this will set the tone for a new brand of kinder, gentler, more humanitarian reality TV show. You know my feelings. <laughs> humanitarian and TV reality TV show well, don't get connected. Well, I mean, and, and it's been successful. So listen and look, everyone. Corrie, what is your pet hate word this week? Enjoy. <laughs> So obviously I didn't get it in a restaurant, Caro, because I can't go there. I God, I hate the word when it when a retail, you know, assistant, sales assistant said, enjoy. So you know who said it to me this week? The lady in the Gazman shop. I went to buy my husband a white T-shirt to wear under his new jumper because he needs something to break the colour. And I buy the white T-shirt in a man shop in Gazman and the lady says, enjoy. I thought, what part of this am I going to enjoy? Enjoy seeing his face when he opens the parcel. I don't think so. Well, Enjoy washing the T-shirt. Enjoy stealing the T-shirt when mine are all dirty. Like, what do I enjoy? I think, I think that's a bit tough. I think the word enjoy is all right. I don't think enjoy I'm should sorry. be a pet word. It's very personal. Anyway, on that note, enjoy, everyone. Enjoy our podcast. Thank you, Red Energy. Thank you, Miss Jane. Thank you, Caro. And thanks to everybody for your feedback and comments. We've decided in the next couple of weeks we're going to have a special segment and we'd like you to all be a part of it. We would like you to send us an email to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and we want you to say in your email how you are coping during the Victorian lockdown or indeed if you're interstate or overseas, what you are thinking or how you think we are coping, not very well, in Victoria. We would love to hear everybody's thoughts, the good, the bad, the sad, the whole shebang and we will dedicate some time, won't we, Carol, to reading these out in the next few weeks. So please, please send us an email. You can also drop us a voice memo as well, which um, I think I'd have no idea how to explain how to do that, but Jane will put that on the show notes somewhere. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au is our email address and, of course, you can contact 
contact us as always on our Instagram and Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod. Don't forget our footy tips episode and our GLT episode, which will drop later this week. And Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs>